You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, One of the interesting things about being online is that it changes things. And one of the things I've noticed is that often the posture of our bodies reflect the posture of our heart. Often that what we're doing with our arms and legs and bodies shapes how we're worshipping. So let me encourage you this morning as you gather around the TV, something we're often consuming passively, to be active, to be engaged, to get rid of distractions so that we can hear from God's word and what Jude has to say to us this morning. Because I think what Jude has to say is a word of encouragement. We started off this series two Sundays ago saying that Jude was a book written for the faithful, contending for the faith in an unfaithful generation. And you might very well be asking after the last two weeks, when is Jude ever going to talk to the faithful? When is he ever going to give a word of encouragement, a word of blessing, a word of uplifting? Because the last two weeks, he's mainly been talking about the false teachers who have crept in. When is he going to address the faithful ones who are to contend? Well, friends, that day is today. Today is the day that Jude encourages us and instructs us how to be faithful. But before he does that, he sets the scene, the backdrop for us. He summarizes his words against the false teachers in verses 17 to 19. It says this, But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers indulging their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, who are causing divisions. He describes them as scoffers, divisive, worldly, and without the spirit. Scoffing is another word for mocking. It's a way of casting doubt, casting dispersion. It's, in essence, what the snake does in Genesis 1. Did God really say? Did God really say these things? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Are you sure? That's what these teachers are doing. So if that's the backdrop of false teachers, that they're casting doubt, that they're worldly, they're divisive, and they're without the Holy Spirit, how then are we to be faithful? How are the people that Jude is writing to be faithful? Well, Jude puts down his hard words that he has for the false teachers and he picks up his pen of encouragement and says these beautiful words. Verse 20, moving forward. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Dearly beloved, the ones that I love, my dear friends, the faithful ones, let me address you. Let me encourage you. Let me 
instruct you. Jude, picking up his pen of encouragement, gives them four different instructions for what it looks like to be faithful in their moment. Well, at least it looks like four different instructions, because if we look at the page, it looks like he's given four particular instructions to build yourselves up on your most holy faith, to pray in the Holy Spirit, to keep yourselves in the love of God, and to look forward to the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. But actually, in the original language, there's one Instruction, one commandment that he gives them, and then three descriptions of what that looks like. In the original language, the only command that Jude gives them is to keep themselves in the love of God. That's the imperative, that's the command, and all the others are descriptions of what that looks like. How I find that incredibly encouraging. How do you contend for the faith? Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you keep going with endurance? Keep yourselves in the love of God. And how do you keep yourself in the love of God? By by praying in the Spirit, by building up on the faith and by looking forward to Jesus. There's three things that stand out to me, particularly about Jude's instructions to the faithful ones. First, is that Jude instructs them using the second person plural. Now, we, we often miss this in the Bible because the English language really just uses the word you for the second person plural. It, so, and you can refer to one person, like you. It can refer to a group of people. It can refer to everyone streaming in right now. It can refer to a whole bunch of different things. But the Greek, the original language, doesn't do that. It tells us particularly who it's writing to. And Jude is using the second person plural, what I would like to call the holy biblical y'all. He's saying, you all keep yourselves in the love of God. He's not just writing to the pastors, not just writing to the preachers, not just to the elders of the church, not just to the parish council, but to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. He's saying, remain in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Y'all, you all must keep yourselves in the love of God. The second thing that's worth noticing, and I wonder if you notice that once he puts down his words of harshness towards the false teachers, he actually doesn't mention them in this section. When he's instructing the faithful ones, he doesn't say anything about how they are to contend for the faith. Because if you're anything like me and you're in an argument with someone and you're disagreeing with them, you're coming up with all these different ways to beat them, to beat their argument, to win, to, to show them how wrong they are. And Jude doesn't do that at all. He, in fact, redirects their attention. Theologian Tom Schreiner says that Jude does this because he knows that if all they do is focus on the false teachers, then they will become distracted from the gospel. They will become distracted. 
My dad often used to tell me not to worry about fools because they'll take you down to their level and then beat you with experience. Jude is saying something similar. Don't worry about them so much as keeping yourself in the love of God. But the third thing I wonder if you noticed is that every single thing that Jude describes is active. It's not passive. Keep yourself in the love of God. Build up on the faith. Pray in the Spirit. Look forward to. No one drifts towards holiness. It's easy to think that the Christian faith is sort of like a donut in a pool. We can just, we're in. I believe in Jesus. I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to sit in this thing and have a drink and just, just, it's all going to work out. But the Christian faith isn't like a pool. It's more like a river. And rivers flow. And there might be a waterfall downstream. And if you're not rowing, if you're not active, it's going to lead to a world of pain. I grew up on a hill, a big Hill, And one of the first lessons that my dad taught me was to never leave your car in neutral. Because as opposed to all my other friends who lived on the flats, if they left their car in neutral, nothing happened. If you leave your car on neutral in a hill, it moves. It moves down the hill. And we had someone come and stay with us for a little while who didn't, know this lesson and for some reason left her car in neutral the handbrake failed the car rolled down the hill and was destroyed there is no neutral in the Christian life we must be active engaged these are all actions for us to engage in And they're incredibly profound. I love, he says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Not build yourself a faith, not create a faith, but build up on your most holy faith because he knows that the foundation of our faith is Jesus. This isn't building so much as keep renovating, building upon something that is already there. Jesus is our firm foundation, and are we growing in him? Are we growing in our knowledge of the gospel? Are we growing in our knowledge of what's been handed down from the apostles, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus? Are we building up onto that, or have we built on something else? We don't build by osmosis as if being in the same building as a Bible helps us to grow. But the more and more we know about God, the more and more we understand how much he loves us and how much he has done for us and can't help but want him more, can't help but follow him more. We build. We keep growing. He also encourages us to pray. In the spirit. 
If someone came to you and was like, look, I'm in this relationship and I want to keep the relationship, but I don't particularly like talking to the person at all. Is there a way to be in a relationship and not talk to someone? You would say, that's crazy talk. What are you doing? You have to talk to build a relationship. It's the same thing with the Christian walk. How can we grow? How can we keep in the love of God if we're not talking with him? If we're not sitting with him? And it's not just saying anything. It's praying in the spirit. It's not just bringing anything. It's praying in line. As Sam said earlier on in the second week, in, by, for. In the spirit, by the spirit, with the spirit. It both strengthens us to know that we're praying in the Spirit, but it also gives us a way to pray. We want to be in line with what the Spirit wants, what the Spirit desires, holiness, godliness, God's glory. He also says to look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, when I first read this, this week as I was preparing for the sermon, I thought, great, that's the easy one. Right? That's the one that won't take that much effort because we're waiting right now, aren't we? We're looking forward. We're, we're, we're in this period where Jesus has departed. He's ascended to the heavens. He hasn't quite come back yet. It's been a couple of thousand years. We're, we're sort of just waiting just as the natural standard. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized this isn't the easiest one but the hardest I don't know if you're familiar at all with the marshmallow test, a marshmallow challenge. And it's a challenge that was originally given to children. And the challenge was as this, that you would place a marshmallow in front of the child, that you would tell them if they were able to wait for a couple of minutes, two, three minutes, they would get two marshmallows. Now, Most children, the minute the adult left the room, ate the marshmallow. And one of the things I love, actually, is that uh, in the original experiments that they did uh, trying to work this out, some kids had to be removed from the end results because they ate the marshmallow before the person had actually given them the instructions to wait. We're not particularly good at waiting, and it's easy to think all these kids aren't very patient, but neither are we. I wonder sometimes if we've grown impatient with waiting for Jesus to return. And so we just stop thinking about it. We stop meditating upon it. We stop desiring Jesus to return. It's a practice to be patient. It's a practice to look forward to the day that Jesus returns and gives us mercy. Let me encourage you. Look forward to that day. That will be the best day of our lives. For anyone who trusts in Jesus, that will put any day on earth to shame. Another way of looking at what Jude is instructing us to do is really to be mature Christians. To glorify God to grow into maturity in Christ, to go and tell the good news of the gospel, as our mission is, is to be mature Christians who trust, know, and love the Lord. 
But Jude doesn't finish there. Jude gives us some instructions for how do we treat others, particularly those who've been affected by false teaching, by, by doubts. He says in verses 22 and 23, Have mercy on some who are wavering, save others by snatching them out of the fire, and have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. Have mercy on those who doubt. Rescue some from the fire and, and have mercy mixed with fear for those who have been caught up in and aligned with the false teachers. The Christian attitude towards doubt is not indifference, but mercy. It's not a casting out whilst they work out what the Christian faith is. It's an embrace. It's mercy. If you've never had any doubts about Christianity, about the faith, then it's probably a sign that you haven't thought about it too deeply. Because Christianity, believing in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, is weird and strange and difficult to comprehend sometimes and beautiful and deep. And Jude knows this more than most. See, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. And when Jesus came telling everyone that he was the Messiah, I wonder if you remember what Jesus' brother's response was. See, it says in the book of John, not even his brothers believed in him. Jude knows what it's like to doubt. Jude knows what it's like to not be sure, to have questions, to, try, to, to, to wrestle and be like, well, how, how can this be? And yet, at the start of Jude, he calls himself a servant of Jesus. Jude's all in because what he experienced in the middle of his doubt was not anger or separation, but mercy and embrace. Jude became acquainted with the fact that Jesus is his Lord and Savior, the one he trusts in, not because of anger or frustration, but because of mercy. Jude knows. He also instructs us to save others by snatching them out of the fire. There are those who have, who have just got themselves mixed up in false teaching and our mission is actually to get them back, to plead with them, come out, this house is on fire. If you stay here, you're going to get burned. I don't know if you've ever experienced pleading with someone who seems like they're on a road towards leaving the faith. Their doubts have led them down a path where they've started rejecting things which shouldn't be rejected. A group of my friends a number of years ago got all wrapped up in a group with a group of people who I would consider false teachers. And looking back now, a couple of years on, you can see the effect that they've had in their church. Division. People have left the church. People have left the faith. Discouragement. But when I was talking with my friends, I wasn't saying, you heretics, how dare you besmirch the name of Jesus? No, it wasn't like that at all. It was, I love you, I'm praying for you. 
I'm noticing some things that don't line up with what God has revealed to us in the Bible. Can I talk to you about them? Because I love you and I want you to know Jesus forever. And it wasn't just talking to them, it was praying for them, fasting for them, pleading with God to save them. See, the tone isn't the same as those who are false teachers. And the goal isn't separation, but restoration. It's bringing them back into the fold, snatching them from the flames of hell. And Jude gives a third group. Have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. He's probably talking about those who are well down the path with these false teachers and well on the way to becoming false teachers themselves. He's saying have mercy on them, but he's also mixed in a little fear. Not fear of them, but fear of what might happen to them. Fear of what might happen to you if you hang around them too long. If you hang around in a burning building for too long, you too might catch on fire, have mercy, but it's mixed in with fear. And you get to the end of the book of Jude. I don't know about you, but it all feels fairly overwhelming. The false teachers have been described with this incredible array of biblical and extra-biblical descriptions. Even the encouragement to keep yourself in the love of God, to build up on the faith, to pray in the Spirit, to look forward to the day that Jesus returns with mercy, it seems too much. How on earth can we have the courage, the strength, the endurance? We don't. We don't have the strength or the courage or the endurance And that's why verses 24 and 25 are such incredible news. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The strength doesn't come from you. The wisdom doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Now, it doesn't say that God might be able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the glory of God. It says that God will. Our trust is in him. Not in our actions as if we do all these things with all our might and strength. That might save us. That will get us to the day where we stand without blemish. No, no, no. God supplies and we receive. God supplies the courage that we need to contend for the faith. God provides the foundation that we are to build up on in the faith. God provides not only the spirit but the power to pray in the spirit. God is the one with whose strong arms are keeping us in the love of God. God is the one who provides the hope of Jesus Christ for us to look forward to. It's him. God supplies all we need. 
It's him who supplies the courage, him who supplies the endurance, him who supplies the grace. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I pray. I pray that not only would we keep ourselves in your love, that we would not only build up onto the most holy faith and to pray in the Spirit and to look forward to the day that you return. But God, I pray that we would look to you to do all these things, that we wouldn't be setting out to do them in our own strength, as if we could somehow muster up the energy and endurance to keep going without you, but know that we would look towards you, the one who is able to keep us from falling and to present us without blemish in the presence of your glory. God, keep us from falling. God, present us without blemish. We trust you. God, we pray that this church will be a church of mature Christians, Mature Christians who are keeping themselves in the love of God by the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. We pray this in his name. Amen.